0: If we're being honest, we were under the impression that 2020 was one big pajama party, but apparently there were plenty of movers and shakers in our industry who were still cranking out world-changing creative ideas. I'm Nancy Anderson, and for our 14th episode of the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast, we travel virtually to the Cannes Festival of Creativity, what is considered the largest gathering of the advertising and creative communications industry. As the festival wishes, our roundtable ensures that creativity is indeed celebrated as we go over what won, what knocked our socks off, and what's next. We carry the theme of creativity into our Red Questionnaire when Red Havas US's own Ellen Maloney Barnes interviews Josh Richardson, Creative Director out of Red Havas UK. But first. It's now time for me to welcome Linda Descano, who is an executive vice president at Red Havas US and the moderator of our roundtable discussion.
1: James, Rachel, thank you for joining us today to talk all things Con. James, you've been part of the Havas team during Con, hosting clients and friends at the Havas Cafe, sharing with those of us who were watching from afar, a bird's eye, up close look at the work that moved and shaped culture in the past. So what was Khan away from Khan really like for you this year?
2: I I missed Khan in a way, you know, not not the sort of uh, the partying, except more the networking and and in particular sort of internal networking and Havas is a large organization. And quite often the only time you can get certain individuals in a room together is during Khan. So you can get a lot of work done during that week. So I kind of, I guess I've missed that, but also I guess I've missed that sort of human connection with those colleagues that you speak with around the world regularly and then you normally then would would catch up with them and can again sort of uh, miss that you know the show last year that when it was uh, when it was missed I can't say I really remember missing it I think there was so much else going on in terms of trying to get through the day and through the week and through the month with business and work and ensuring that everybody was healthy and comfortable really I guess sort of dominated my life I'm sure it dominated a lot of people's lives throughout sort of uh, the summer last year so it was great to see that the show happened this year, even though it, albeit, was all virtually. And I'm sure Rachel's got a lot to add around her experience as a juror. Uh, in a, in a, you know, I, I know how how much of a monster it is to to judge the Can Show. I've done it twice, and I was in a room where I was locked away for four or five days in in the jury room. So it'd be great to hear sort of what it was like in a virtual environment because it was pretty full on. You make friends for life, but it it, it is a very taxing and and, and tiring experience albeit very rewarding.
3: Yes Rachel please do share. Well yeah I mean I think um, it was obviously my first time as a judge which I was thrilled about and I hadn't had the live experience of being a judge but as James said I know that you tended to get locked in a room so I guess it was a bit more structured but I mean it was pre-judging was a lot so I mean I was doing the pre kind of shortlist judging probably for about two or three weeks every single evening before we started and then it was it was good because it was structured, but it was five five hours a day for two weeks, which is pretty full And I think really the sadness, as James said, was that we really, the judging panel really bonded, but it wasn't quite the same as being there in person. Although, you know, some of us are trying to meet up afterwards, et cetera. Probably things didn't get quite as heated as I would imagine they would do in terms of debates around certain entries as well, because we were on teams. But um, yeah, it was still a great experience at the end of the day. Well,
1: the COVID-19, really dominated our life for the past 18 months, of course, caused the cancellation of Con in 2020. So what role did it play in Con 2021 in terms of entries? What were the biggest themes to emerge? Would the two of you break it down for us? James, do you want to kick off?
2: Well, I mean, I was surprised from reading all of the sort of notes from the juries and and from talking to Rachel and others, we've got ex-colleagues and current colleagues that have been in jury rooms that, you know, COVID, whilst it was there, it didn't really dominate the entries. Uh, A lot of the entries covered broader issues or other important issues that that we needed to raise awareness about. So that whether that was around racial equality, uh, domestic abuse, child abuse, um, climate issues, I saw a lot of work awarded in, in that sort of space. So and it was really, I guess, fascinating. I'd love to hear why this was, Rachel. But it's also very interesting in the PR lines that, that no COVID-19 campaign was awarded in the crisis or issues section, even if it related to business transformation. I, don't, I, I think I recall that, that there wasn't anything awarded mm. in the crisis and issues category, which was very surprising, I think, considering the amount of change and change management and communications and the issues that we've all felt over the last year as to, as to why that was.
3: Yeah, I mean, my my experience of the crisis and issues category was really in the pre judging, and that there were very few, as you just said, James. There were very few entries. I think there were like a handful, if I remember correctly, which is incredibly surprising. I think given everything that's been experienced this year. And then I would honestly say the number of really directly related COVID entries may have been like ten to fifteen, particularly you know at the shortlist stage. Anyway. So I think to echo your point, it was really encouraging to see a wide range of issues tackled. I do think all the work was highly empathetic, though, all the good work. Anything that made shortlist upwards was very empathetic. and I'm sure that was a symptom of the pandemic and actually, you know something that was to be applauded. I think the other thing was that anybody that entered anything that was basically COVID washing, so was you know exploiting the situation obviously was sort of, Uh, dismissed uh, prior to shortlist stage as well which you know I think led to a a shortlist then awards of going to very very meaningful work and I I know as a jury one of our criteria pre-judging was to ensure that the work had legacy going forward so not just immediate impact but legacy going forward and I think in the PR category at least hopefully you'll see anything that made the shortlist or was then awarded kind of fulfilled that criteria.
2: Yeah, I think that this year, I I didn't see as much fluff in in some of the awards as well. And this is broader than the PR category. There was a real sort of balance to be struck between, you know, comedy and humor, entertainment and then purpose. And we've spoken a lot, even on this podcast previously, about how purpose has has been disrupted, I guess, in the last year. And you moved into this sort of purpose 2.0. It was incredible to see how creative agencies and clients had got to get their word out because you had to be more creative in the last 12 months in a world or a news, news agenda that was dominated by, you know, an, an American election, a, a global pandemic and a, and a major kind of push for greater uh, equality from a, from a racial and social justice perspective.
1: Well, it's interesting that you comment on purpose because one of the, one of the articles that I, I read a roundup of con in the health and pharma category seemed to be a real shift from a product focus to how brands were delivering value to the customers, you know, engaging in conversations on topics that patients really cared about, solving real-world problems, and, you know, bringing purpose back to the forefront. Did you see that, James, And when you were looking at the health and pharma category?
2: Well, I think that the health and pharma category, I think, you know, had a number of very similar themes, I would say, to PR lines in that diversity and inclusion was a major factor. Authenticity, I mean, the Grand Prix winner of, of uh, "Wound Pain Stories for Body Form was an incredibly powerful piece of work that used a, a, a number of different mediums, a number of different channels, really great use of multimedia and, and the sort of hero film, the music, the animation, the artwork was incredibly powerful and, and different and made you feel something. And that's what you know, all great campaigns do. They make you feel something, they make you want to act, they make you want to laugh, they make you angry, they make you happy, whatever that is. And I, I think that came through in a number of those campaigns. Equally, I think in the, the pharma categories, they've, there was also a number of campaigns that looked to change laws. You had the, the tampon book that, that looked to tax um, or, or um, uh, remove the tax uh, for women's hygiene products. You had the uh, Fez Salah Incest, uh, which is um, a campaign that gob- uh, lobbied the government around um, uh, incest relationships and, and how a child, if they didn't say no, it meant that they were consenting. And that was clearly a law that needed to be changed. And so that campaign, again, was quite sort of powerful. Uh, so lots of sort of similar sort of themes. But I think all of the campaigns that were awarded, all of the, the ones that won particularly gold and, and uh, Grand Prix. I think consistently with other years, you know, it's a very simple idea done incredibly well.
3: Rachel, how about from your perspective, what was some of your favorite work? Well, I, I have to say my two, probably my two favorites, are were the ones that actually got awarded the, the PR Grand Prix in the end, which I wasn't unhappy about. So um, that was Spinney's, the bread exam, which was, um, it was a really, really simple idea. So in a lot of Middle Eastern countries, even exam- women examining themselves, breast cancer is actually a taboo. And the premise of this was to use baking, which is obviously you know culturally acceptable to teach women how to do um, you know breast examinations in a culturally appropriate way. So I think unless you're in those countries, you don't realize how many taboos that campaign had to break down, but it was just so simple as well. So it kind of ticked every box in terms of purpose, doing something good, leading legacy, being a simple idea, beautifully executed. And the other Grand Prix winner was the Michelob Ultra campaign, um, which, uh, Contract for Change, which was basically um, encouraging farmers in the US to uh, change their farmland to organic. This was a massive undertaking for Michelob. It takes three years to change farmland into um, organic farmland. And they were basically... Um, funding farmers to do that so while it was obviously you know a great comms campaign in terms of what Mikloff got out of it, I think the long-term commitment from the brand to do something meaningful and something good over the long term you know was outstanding basically so I hate to call back on the Grand Prix winners but those two were definitely <laughs> two of my favorites although there was there was other really really great stuff you know within the the, the PR category um, but those two definitely stood out. As you think
1: about what made for um, a winning campaign this year, what are some of the elements, Rachel, that, that communicators, marketers should be thinking of if they wanna take home a lion you know, in the future? You know, how important is, is measurement, for example, and good measurement? What, what does that mean to the judges?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely critical. You can't really get on the shortlist or have an award unless the measurement is there. I mean, it's definitely looked at, but I would say in order of preference, it's definitely the core idea that's looked at first. I I honestly think, I mean, I think this goes without saying for the last four or five years, but particularly this year, unless there was true purpose at the heart of the campaign, it wasn't going to go anywhere, basically. Then I think the measurement and impact were looked at. But I think, as I said previously, um, on the PR jury, at least, one of our key criteria was not just immediate impact, but how the uh, programme... You know, benefited the society or you know the audience it was talking to on a long-term basis, Um, and I think you know that will be increasingly seen as a criteria across the board in Cannes as we move forward. So I think you know for now I would say those are the four key things to look at. Be interesting to see what comes out next year's awards.
2: Yeah, I think also the the this whole concept of how you know we're in this sort of world of purpose 2.0 interesting to see the impact of covid next year particularly on farmer brands that have become household brands now and being a lot more adventurous with how they go about marketing themselves and also marketing the causes and the interests that are that are important to that organization and its and its um, stakeholders so I, I think we'll see a lot of that next year I think we'll also see a lot of, uh, around you know human connection people getting back together I think we'll, we'll start to see that as, as things have continued to open up. But I'm really interested to ask though, Rachel, around how you decided what you awarded and how you, in terms of what was PR and what's not, because, you know, a lot of it in previous years, and, and we've had this conversation in the jury room, the, the two times I did it, where, you know, it had to have earned at the core, it had its purpose had to start out as a, an idea that was going to create, earned. I mean, if you take, um, so, so you didn't just get a, a great TV ad that, that, that ran during the Super Bowl and then, Kind of course yeah. it got media because every everybody um checks out the super bowl ads and, that, and that's a conversation for a whole week and of course everybody then gets so much coverage that it breaks the internet um and uh, and all that kind of crazy stuff but i mean because one of the campaigns i do like which really was an ad but it clearly was an ad that was designed to create earn conversation and media coverage was was the moldy whopper in Sweden. Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting piece of work where you did award it a goal, but what was the kind of conversation like in the jury room about what was PR?
3: Yeah, well, I think, James, to echo what you just said, I mean, I think we all felt very adamantly that earned needed to be at the heart. I mean, I think one of the perennial issues is that often it's ad agencies that win the PR category. Not sure if it was the same when you judged, but we couldn't see who had produced the work. So we didn't know. So we were literally judging it on, you know, how much dirt was in there, which I I didn't realise because I'd always been really frustrated. I'm like, why are ad agencies winning the PR category? But I mean, you know, both the Spinney's work and um, the Michelob Ultra work had, you know, I I think Spinney's had a was very influenced by Weber Shamwick, but ultimately um, it was an ad driven Concept, But both of them were designed in such a way that the earned was, you know, incredibly significant. And we didn't know who'd obviously produced the campaign. So, um, you know, it could have been a PR agency, given how great the earned media was, basically. But I do also think there's another thing as well, which is I think PR agencies need more confidence. I mean, obviously, the ones attached to the big holding groups enter. But I think um, it would be good to see more independents enter. I know that there's a price in terms of the entry having to do the video and stuff. But I mean, from a UK perspective, some of the work that the independent agencies are coming out with here would have definitely stood up in Cannes. And yet it's no, it, it was nowhere to be seen. So I think there's sort of a confidence issue for the PR industry as a whole in terms of kind of getting into the mix. And you're right. It is expensive.
2: I mean, I can't remember what it was. Five, six hundred euros an entry, plus then all the resource and time to put together the entry and the award video. You, you're going to end up pushing 15, 20,000 euros by the time you're finished. And you know, when you're when you're seeing, you know, almost eighteen hundred entries this last year, and only sixty-seven lines awarded. That's less than four percent of the numbers. And you know, that's that that's a factor, right? Isn't it? And also, I guess yeah. ultimately, yeah. commercially. For a lot of independent PR agencies, winning a Cam Lion isn't necessarily um, top of their agenda or necessarily their direct clients. Clearly, I think that is you know, a bit of a generalisation, but in, you know, it's it's to to a greater or lesser extent, it's it's relatively true.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I agree yeah. with that. I think a lot of the local agencies will want to focus, you know, their efforts on the local market. May not see the benefit of um, entering in Can, although. I would say having been a winner of a gold line myself in my previous agency, it did, you know, get a lot of halo effects. And we were an independent agency as well. So um, yeah, it'd be interesting Obviously to see PR'd what
2: PR We've done that throughout the time, you know, within the PR businesses here at Havas when you know we've won, you know, big sort of, you know, even Grand Prix in, in the past, uh, um, and and or DND black pencils. Um, you know, it's 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 something you you know you've got to work harder. At, at PRing. I have to say I'm really disappointed again that there was only, um, you know, very, there was very few winners in the media relations category. I see there was only one this year. And I don't know where, and it'd be interesting to get your view on how it sort of rolled out in the jury that you were in, but it almost sort of seemed that any, any campaign in the juries I worked, uh, worked on or worked with, any campaign that, that simply delivered media relations, even though it was excellent. It's almost an embarrassment if the idea wasn't really super creative. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that's wrong in my, my perspective is that, you know, great media relations work should be celebrated because that is ultimately our key skill.
3: Oh, You know, I agree. I mean, and also that category, you know, by virtue of what it is, is about that. It's about craft, right? It's about media relations craft. Yeah. And I agree. There were very, I mean, there were very few entries, although the one that won I thought was absolutely excellent but it's a shame because it's, you know, we should be able as an industry uh, to recognize it as a really important craft. And I think actually one of the things that's happened in COVID is that, you know, clients, while they do want to be multi-channel, etc., cetera, you know, earned in terms of earned media relations is more important to them than ever. There seems to be a very big swing back to it as a very, very valued craft from clients. So um, I think for that category to have a bit more kudos next year would not be a bad thing.
1: And do you think across the board for winning entries that brands need to think beyond advertising and bring more of the multi-channel experiences to life to be competitive?
2: If you, if you look at all of the different Lions categories, like all of the big winners usually have a fair amount of earned in it because it makes a great award film when people are talking about it on US talk shows and get coverage on news in China or in Australia. Um, so they, they actually want that, right? So um, you know, very often, you know, when we're working with uh, advertising uh, partners, whether it's within Havas or elsewhere, you know, we're actually looking to help. How how can we actually make this stretch this idea and move it a little bit into a direction that we know that journalists and bloggers and influencers would want to talk about? So, you know, I think that that's been a trend for a while now. I do think that reputational issues have come to the fore in a way like never before in the last sort of couple of years. And so that's, that's also meant that a lot of the thinking has to also take into account that, and that, that clearly needs PR and communications practitioners in the room. Agreed. Any, la- yeah. Any
1: last um, closing thoughts on, if, you know, if there were maybe one key takeaway you would give to a brand marketer or communicator to think about a lion
3: for next year? I think I mean, I would just build on what James has said. You know, look, at the end of the day, you've got to have a brilliant concept that I think societally moves the dial and does have purpose in it. I think you know those will be key criteria for next year. But I think also, I would say there were entries in the other some of the other categories that were ad led that if that ad agency had actually you know spoken to the ad media agency it would have been so much more powerful. So um, I think it, you know, it goes both ways. It's like, where can one discipline kind of leverage or help the other to make the overall case a lot more powerful? I mean, that's very much putting it in terms of how do you win a line, but actually that's beneficial to the campaign and the client as well in terms of how you blow it out.
2: Yeah, I agree. And the, the reality is as well, you know, this is a jury of something between 16 and 22 people most years that are working through, you know, 1,700, 1,800 entries, the case film's key. You, you know, to get through all of that work, you need an incredible case film that really pops. And as I said before, only 4% of those entered on a lion. So the case film has to be thought about. It has to be designed. And, you know, if I was a PR company, I was, I was a little bit inexperienced with that. Then get, get, get an advertising partner to help make yeah. it for you. <laughs> Because, you know, if you're going to invest in it, make sure you invest in it correctly. And, you know, as someone who's, you know, written and and directed sort of case films in the past, yeah, it's so important that that, that a campaign that might not be as good as another campaign can look so much better if you've got a great case film. Particularly, you know, because it is hard work. It's exhausting in a jury room going through, you know, case after case after case, you know. And your case film is absolutely crucial to get you towards the end of, um judging on the final day when you're looking at the you know who you're going to shortlist where you really start to delve much greater into the written entry Uh, the reality is it's very hard to go through every single part of the written entry with each case film in the early days and and i'm sure you probably had a similar sort of experience, we would shortlist, uh, sorry, take through to can after the long list. we take through about 900 of those 1,700 that we'd actually then work through in the jury room over four or five days. And over time, they just got cold.
3: And I think actually, weirdly as well, one of the other, I mean, obviously people enter uh, things in multiple categories. So within, even within the PR category, there were entries that were entered multiple times within that category. And you think that's the smart thing to do because you're actually hedging your bets in terms of numbers. Actually, I think I would be careful about that because what you find is, to James's point, but for a different reason, you get cold to those entries because you've seen them repeatedly. So I think think really smartly. I'm not saying don't enter more than one in one category yeah. within a category, but just think yeah. very smartly about where you're going. Because what if something is... You've seen four or five times across various different categories, even within the PR category, you do
2: get cold to it really, really easily. Yeah, yeah. and you start so to favour, I think, work as well that has a, has a bit of entertainment in it. I love the yeah. campaign, the House of Lapland <laughs> campaign, which was. Uh, to put the, the city of Salah as the Summer Olympic uh, venue for 2032. I can imagine after a day of judging, you watch that case film, and it's a case film about climate change. It's got a serious purpose to it, but it's done with a great deal of entertainment humour that suddenly actually the day breaks up because everybody's laughing and kind of yeah. really entertaining yeah. this wonderful case film that's put together. And I've been there in that experience. I can imagine that that is the type of work that then you go, actually, I'm really warm to that because yeah. a day of watching quite tough cases where it's dealing with some really serious issues and this is of course a very serious issue too but they've done it with you know a great blend of humor which i mentioned earlier on i think it's wonderful when you can bring humor into a, a piece of work but also then drive a really serious message you know they designed the logo they did you know they got a mascot they fronted the campaign with the with the town's mayor this is a town in finland in the arctic circle that's completely snowed in most years but is getting warmer every year and and was going for the Summer Olympics, you know, it's, it's got a serious message behind it, but I can just imagine that those, those types of work as well, if you've got a piece of work that you know is quite entertaining, you know, that's also worth thinking about how you bring that out in the entry. Yeah, I agree with that.
1: So, so much, it's, it's I, I, I really, what you said in terms of that from the PR standpoint, earned at the core, good measurement, has, demonstrates societal impact, brings purpose to the fore, balances with the entertainment and humor and it is all about the storytelling at the end it's not just about what the campaign did but how are the results and the tactics packaged to really bring that heart and soul to life uh, you know um, you know so that the judges can so the impact really comes across
3: yeah absolutely.
1: Well, thank you, uh, James and Rachel, for this discussion. Um, We will look forward to coming back to you next year and talk about CON 2022. Thanks, Linda. You're welcome. Thank you,
0: Linda. Now time for the Red Questionnaire. This segment is featured in every episode of the podcast where we ask the same questions to different guests to understand what inspires them and makes them tick.
4: I am Ellen Mallory Barnes the Vice President of Content and we are talking to Josh Richardson, our new creative director. Hi Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Red Questionnaire segment. Speaking of you joining us, you are a recent addition to the team at Red Havas. We welcomed you in May as our new creative director.
5: Yes, I am new, but I've been thrown in at the deep end. So it's <laughs> but getting to grips with everything and everyone.
4: And you're based in the UK.
5: Yeah in London. So lovely sunny south London.
4: But working on accounts globally? Yes,
5: yeah, so I'm on everything across US and UK and then everything in between and being, yeah, big stretched but but it's good. It's it's nice to be. It's nice to work on lots of different clients.
4: Right, well, let's go back to the beginning and you um can you tell us what your first job was and how that sort of led you to where you are today in your career?
5: So I grew up in the countryside in Wales so it was all in a tiny little village so my first job when i was probably about 13 or 14 i was a, an assistant tree surgeon which just means that i used to go into the woods with this two old guys and cut down birch for a local race course it's <laughs> a so really really village which obviously took me on into the world of advertising
4: <laughs> yeah clear
5: yeah clear path, path. advertising um, but then first kind of ad role, I started at Channel 4, I won a little film project and then um, weaseled my way into a placement there. In London? In lo- yeah, in London.
4: Are you doing tree surgery anymore these days?
5: No, um, well, my, my, I kind of, I was back at um, my parents over Christmas and they're sc- obviously still in the village and there's no central heating in all houses is coal and wood so i, I did have to go out and chop some logs for the fire occasionally it was, it was more of a hobby now less vocational
4: can you tell me how many stamps you have in your passport
5: i think i've got a few i think i've, I've done sri lanka and india and, and i've done the states but we, we never get stamps over going to europe here well i guess obviously with brexit now so i've done lots of traveling in europe so i think there's, there's probably not that many stamps in my passport I'll probably have to renew it as well soon and, and get a new UK one, whatever color that's going to be.
4: Of all of the destinations, of all the places you've gone, is there a favorite?
5: I want a safari. I'm, I'm quite into my animal conservation stuff. And I did a safari in Sri Lanka, which was brilliant. Kind of getting up at dawn to kind of go out and see from these kind of like the, the safari, I don't know what they're called, wagons. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Um, these four by fours that was yeah that's that's probably been one of my best um, trips and then getting to go surfing in the afternoon and then topping it off with um seafood and a beer it was was, was, yeah I could I could I could get used to that
4: yeah that sounds dreamy Mm. who is your favorite person or account to follow on social media and why
5: I actually think that Instagram is is a really good kind of creative wise is a really good release because you can kind of get lost down on these rabbit holes I'm not into kind of like opinions on Facebook or or Twitter or anything like that but I think Instagram for like design and photography and just escape there is an account that is is just silly it's called dumb cats are you Um, (laughs) uh, and it's definitely worth a follow to anyone that's, that likes cats or doesn't likes cat or doesn't like cats, it's I think that's a, just a nice fun one.
4: Okay, I will definitely go follow them. I haven't. Yeah. One. <laughs> Is it based in the UK?
5: No, it's like a Russian-based account. So every so you don't know what the captions say. Well, I don't because I don't speak Russian. Um and and the, and the cat pictures are super weird. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Solid uh, recommendation. Yeah, so I, I think that one's quite fun.
4: Is there a headline right now that's been grabbing your attention?
5: Uh well you can you can turn on BBC and get bogged down with kind of all of this horrible stuff that's going on with racism, especially with all the football that's just happened. Um there was there was a campaign that FIFA brought out uh I think a few weeks ago, and there was a player for I want to say Crystal Palace but he was playing for the academy side. There was a a boy playing for like um, the under 16s or under 21s. And he was caught in some crime and he was, he was killed. So then FIFA created this player that of what he would have been today, kind Mm. of like as a first team player. Yeah. So I thought that was, that was quite nice because there's again, there is actually another Instagram account. I think it just called, I think it's called good news daily or good or good news, something. And they only put on good news about Mm. kind of, Instead of, cause you, you, I think you do get bogged down when you put on kind of, especially with BBC or anything like that, everything that's horrible that's going on. So I think it's quite nice to see that there are little, little rays of hope every now and again.
4: Yeah. Well, when you do need to get a boost like that, is there um, a certain go-to message of encouragement that, that you?
5: Well, I, I can't rely on humor being able to laugh myself. I've, I've got four older brothers as well, so it's quite easy to poke fun at me. But I think, I think if you can laugh at yourself and if you can laugh at what's going on and kind of take humor and everything you do as just a pinch of salt, I think it's, it makes everything a lot easier.
4: It's so true.
5: Yeah, it's, I think it's good to have just that kind of release of, 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 of taking something and seeing it as, as just a joke.
4: Yeah, I'm a huge fan of humor, and I'm kind of one of the agency's jokesters for sure. <laughs> it's a bit—it's a bit hard to get the balance right professionally to be funny because you have to also not get reported to HR.
5: Yeah, yeah, I think it's okay in mine because I can just say it was a creative idea that
4: went wrong. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, well, we're going to close with just one more question, and that is: um, Do you have a favorite cliche?
5: There's, there's there's truths and clichés but I, I try to if i'm ever writing a script or if i'm ever trying to i think human truths are nicer than clichés mm. so like anyone could write a script about how a grandmother is is loving and caring when realistically my nan <laughs> wasn't wasn't so so it's quite i think if you can pull out actual human truths you, i think we can steer clear from clichés
4: Oh, I love that. You're, I mean, as a writer, that really resonates with me too.
5: Yeah. So yeah, I think, yeah, don't, don't, be, don't be scared to tell the truth, um, even, even if it's not brilliant or positive. But I think the truth resonates with people a lot more than kind of like, oh, dad's bad at technology and Nan's got cookies waiting for
4: you. Absolutely. Well, you're lovely and I'm excited to get to work more closely with you.
5: Brilliant. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications, insights, and trends from the team at Red Havas. Please make sure to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Don't forget to rate and review today's
1: show. We'd love to hear from you.